just want to welcome everyone who's joining us via live stream right now on uh, through uh, Zoom or our YouTube. Just to let you know, it's only one part of our service here. You can come down and join us at Chelsea Community Church. We're meeting together with City Temple on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Or if you want to join us via Zoom, just drop us an email and we can send you the Zoom link. Today, I am really, really excited to have uh, a guest speaker with us, uh, Ziggy Rogoff of Jews for Jesus. I've had the privilege of starting to get to know Ziggy here over the last couple of months. Uh, as a church, we're starting to support him as one of our missionaries. And I know Ziggy is a man of integrity and highly commended to me by one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Avi Snyder, uh, and says, you know, Ziggy is the guy, yeah, he's the go-to guy. And Ziggy's doing a lot of really awesome things, reaching out to uh, our, the, the Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and by the way, if you don't know about Jews for Jesus, we've got some brochures. Uh, Ziggy might make reference to those. We've got some materials uh, in the coffee lounge uh, after the service uh, that you can get. Uh, but let me tell you, Jews for Jesus, for me, is the gold standard of uh, ministries to Jewish people. Because Jewish, uh, Jews for Jesus does not compromise on the gospel of Yeshua, the gospel of Jesus. It presents the gospel. It doesn't believe that uh, Jewish people are saved simply by being Jews. They understand that we all need the Messiah, and we all need faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I highly recommend them to you. I highly commend them to you. Uh, and if you'd like to support them, uh, you've got information there on your seats where you can do just that. Today, by the way, we'll be taking what's called a retiring offering. Uh, so uh, I forgot to get a bag or something for that. We'll try to figure out that. But if you have, you want to give an offering toward Jews for Jesus, you can just give it directly to Ziggy if you'd like. Uh, uh, or if you need to pass it through us, just let us know. Uh, so without further ado or whatever it's called, I'd like to welcome Ziggy Rogoff. Let's give him a great warm welcome here. interested in supporting Jews for Jesus, you have the flyer. You can either give it to me at the end, and if you're online, uh, just go to the internet and just mention my name when you go through something. Uh, we, we very much support, very much are grateful for people's support of the work we do reaching Jewish people with the gospel. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us many words. We're not in the dark. We thank you, Lord, that we know of your Son. 
These, even these eyewitness reports have been given to us by people who've been inspired by your spirit to speak the truth of who he really is and what he has done for us. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our King. Amen. Now, I'm going to be using today the, the English Standard Version of the Bible. And I don't know if you, because the way this talk I'm going to give you, you can either kind of listen or, or go to the Bible. So I'll make some references. I'll make references to where we are in the Bible. So I'm just working off the ESV. So if yours is slightly different, that's still okay. I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod and iron, of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now this week has seen the loss of the Queen, and it's, I think it's a moment we, we knew was going to come, and yet it's still quite a, a shock for all of us. I, I don't think any of us imagine what this would be like. Um, it's a shock that we have to say goodbye to the woman who has been the crown for 70 years, who has been with us for our lives. And so it seemed natural for me to want to speak on the theme of royalty and service uh, throughout the Bible as it helps us reflect on the life of the queen, her character, and also our saviour. The story of the Bible is the story of the Son of God, also known as the King of Israel. In fact, he is the King of the universe. But this isn't a story that was presented up front in clear terms in the Bible, but it was an unfolding story. The image began in its embryonic form very early on in the Bible. But we knew so little about him. The scriptures left us pondering the mysterious messianic figure. But, we, but all we knew for sure is that someone was coming, but the why and the when and the who and the what, it was all veiled. We didn't know. Every nation in days of old had a leader. It's true today, but the leaders of old were kings. And in the United Kingdom, we have this remarkable legacy of kings and queens uh, for more than a thousand years. 
And just like the UK, kings and queens existed in Israel. Now, with the exception, there was one queen in Israel, but Israel had kings. The norm was for a king. And we see this front and center in the beginning of the Psalms where we've just read Psalm 2. It's vivid, vivid image of God's king who's identified with the title of God's son. Verse 6, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The language we see here speaks of a tight-knit relationship between God and his king. Indeed, he, he represented God to the people, just as the high priest represented the people to God. The Psalm 2 king is exalted, and the nations submit to him. His dominion knows no bounds. But Psalm 2 always pointed beyond the kings of Israel to the ultimate king. But we have to start in the beginning. It all began a long time ago when there were no kings in Israel. Here are God's words about his coming king from the fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers. It's Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. These are the words of the most famous witch doctor in the Bible, called Balaam. And he has been called in uh, to curse the Israelites. Now, whenever we hear of witch doctors, we definitely think this is very strange, especially if we live in the West. Um, even the idea that witch doctors is, are in the Bible seems just a bit bizarre. But none of this is to be laughed at. In many cultures today, this is actually very normal. How often we want to curse our enemy rather than blessing them. This isn't a joke. It's normal. Why did the nations hire this high-profile witch doctor? Because the nations were terrified of Israel. They knew God, the God of Israel, was powerful, and he destroys his enemies. They knew of the ten plagues, and now the nations are deeply fearful of meeting a similar fate. So they seek out the most famous witch doctor, Balaam, to put an end to Israel. But soon they discover they can't curse who God has blessed. Not only can the witch doctor not curse them, he must bless them. The witch doctor proclaims in Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot.
cannot revoke it. Out of the witch doctor's mouth, he speaks the sure words of God. If God has said it, it will come to pass. It is certain. The witch doctor knows he can only speak what God has told him to say. In fact, the witch doctor knew that from the moment he was hired. Numbers 22, verse 38. Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, I must speak. Now, this witch doctor has a lot of sayings, and there were four, so there were two, there were a pair of statements that he makes which really resonate with each other and strike a chord with us. They sound the same, but they're different. Listen, this is Numbers 23, verse 22. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. But Numbers 24, verse 8 says, God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. God brought God brought Israel out of Egypt. But who is this him who God is going to bring out of Egypt? God is telling us that someone is coming. But it couldn't be more veiled. But this is how Balaam describes him. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. The witch doctor goes on and proclaimed him in the greatest terms with the words that we began with. Numbers 24, 17. I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. He has ultimate dominion. He is the future king of the world. But who is the one God brings out of Egypt is a mystery. But by using this language of Exodus, God recalls his rescue of his people from slavery to Pharaoh so they could begin a relationship with him. And here he is pointing towards another rescue. The scope of this second rescue is enormous. This rescue involves the future king of the world. That he commands the obedience of the peoples is remarkably similar to the words that Jacob uttered hundreds of years before concerning his son Judah. You may be familiar with Genesis 49 verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To him shall be the obedience of the nations. He will reign. It means out of Judah will come forth God's king and he will reign over the nations and they will obey him. The next verse in Genesis 49 verse 11 is quite telling. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's, donkey's coat to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. He's so wealthy, he ties his donkey to a choice vine. You, I don't know if you have a donkey, 
But you, you don't let your donkey eat your choice vine. Unless, of course, you're so wealthy that you don't care. Or maybe you do want your donkey to eat only the choice vine. But imagine being that rich and that generous. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. He's so wealthy, he washes his clothes with wine. I don't know what you wash your clothes with. <laughs> but if you are immensely wealthy, I suppose you go for champagne or wine. Or <laughs> this king is so rich, he washes his clothes in nothing but the best wine. It makes us wonder what he actually drinks he actually washes his clothes with wine. But verse 12, his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. He is a striking image. His eyes darker than wine, teeth whiter than milk. He is a picture of health and prosperity and power. His teeth are perfect. He has it all, he owns it all. He is a powerful king. God's appointed king. He reigns supreme, he subdues his enemies, and he demands allegiance. There was once a time when the only king that Israel had was God. Yet God said, yet God said Israel would one day have a king. We, we get the idea of kings descending from Abraham and through Isaac and Jacob from Genesis. Genesis 17 says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And later on, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give her a son. I'll give you a son by her, and I will bless her. And she shall become nations, and kings of people shall come from her. And God spoke to Jacob. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am the God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. And a nation of company, and a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. But it is in the book of Deuteronomy that we learn that God had specific plans for a king in Israel. This is uh, Deuteronomy 17, picking up at verse 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, 
You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You, sh you, may, not put a <coughs> you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to turn to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And you shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests. And it should be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and do them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the left or the right, so that he may continue to live long, may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. In the days of Samuel, things were not well. His sons were evil priests, so the people wanted a king, so they could be like the other nations. So God gave them Saul. He gave them what they wanted, a tall, imposing man to lead Israel. But Saul misrepresented God. And so God chose another man, a man after his own heart. And a new king was chosen, a shepherd boy, the youngest of the many sons of Jesse. And one day, God made a promise to that man, and that man was King David. And the startling promise was of a forever king. There are judders in the Bible storyline every now and again, tremors, fault lines, like when God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. It was a surprising turn. We had seen Adam and Eve exiled from the garden. There was a tragedy of Cain and Abel. Then came the flood and the Tower of Babel. Things were clearly spiraling out of control. And then we met Abraham. Hope at last. It was a remarkable signal of hope for a fallen world. And now in the fledgling days of the kings, God promised something utterly beyond our wildest expectations, a forever king. This is 2 Samuel 7, I'm picking up at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever it is this future king that begins to transform our understanding, our perception of the king. This is a forever king. We see the words forever in verse 13 and twice in verse 16, yet there's a tension in these words, a contrast between forever and the sinful kings of Israel. 
who need to be disciplined. And in verse 14, there's a when, when he commits iniquity. But this when could equally well be an if. There's real ambiguity rooted in the behavior of the king. When it says, verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, it just emphasizes God's perseverance with sinful kings, yearning for the day the perfect forever king would come. All this seems impossible in light of the life of sinful kings. Solomon is immediately in sight when we read these words. He was a great king, but in some sense, he was the worst king. He had such power and dominion, and yet he failed. He never made, paid, never paid much attention to his copy of the book of the law. He had too much gold, he had too many wives, and he had too many chariots and too many horses that he'd got from Egypt. The three forevers point beyond him, and even his failings didn't nullify, nullify God's grace and promise. Indeed, the combination of a forever king and sin, forever entangling, just seems like a tragic scenario. Why would God tolerate sin forever? An endless cycle of corruption? We can only hope forever doesn't include sin. But with hindsight, we can see this is our great hope of a forever king without sin. A perfect, righteous king, a perfect son who never sins. But it is to Isaiah we go who fleshes out the great mystery of the king like no other. He tells us of a hidden servant who is exalted, who suffers, who's transcendent, the one true righteous king. He's hidden from sight. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49 verse 1 begins, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made, a, he made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And there's the well-known passage of Isaiah 53, specifically Isaiah 52:13 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It is this servant who silences the kings of the world. Isaiah 52:15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. But by... As we get to Isaiah 53, verse 2, he's identified as a root out of dry ground. Let me read Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. A root out of dry ground is miraculous, almost an impossibility. It emphasizes the unfavorable conditions in which the servant would appear. He would not fit the stereotype of a king. A dry root in the barren ground doesn't, does not appear to have much of a chance. It doesn't appear to have much life in it at all. And, but this language is very interesting. It's very similar to Isaiah 11, verse 1, where Isaiah speaks of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It 
Just think of that image, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Imagine a tree. Maybe it's a tree you've grown up with your whole life, or maybe you've seen a tree being felled. This great tree is cut down, and it's reduced to a stump. The finality of this tree is appalling. The stump speaks of brutal destruction, brought down to the point of death, and then a shoot springs forth from its stump. There is still life there just like our root out of the dry ground. The tree cut down emphasizes a judder, a, a tremor, a break from everything we expected. The stump tells us that God does not work through strength and power, but through weakness. Isaiah 11 tells us this king is out of this world. Listen to these verses from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Who is this king that demands obedience, who crushes his enemies? Well, this is the Psalm 2 king. But who are the enemies? It is those who refuse to be healed this king pays the penalty for sin. Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The good news is that forever king came. And Jesus answered Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. This king is also a servant king as he suffers and dies for others. From Mark 10, and Jesus called them, he called his disciples, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What awaits us all is his return to judge the world. This is from Acts 17. The timers of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent 
because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The kings of old understood power and rule and allegiance. The monarchy we have in the UK is symbolic of old days. But when we look to God and his king, his power is, is not a symbol. His rule is not a symbol. What we make of Jesus, God's king, determines our eternal destiny. Queen Elizabeth II spoke of her king, and she chose to submit to him, and indeed follow his lead and serve her country and the Commonwealth. She was groomed for service, and she honored her promise all the days of her life. If you have never grasped Jesus is God's king, who has absolute power to judge and save, let it be today that you swear allegiance to the King. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus with absolute power, <coughs> with absolute power and authority. We pray, Lord, that you allow us to come to your Son and to kiss him and to submit to him. We thank you so much for the life of Queen Elizabeth II and how she has been a, a rock to so many for so long and how wonderfully she spoke of her faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for her life. We do ask, Lord, that uh, as services and ceremonies continue that uh, her faith in the Lord Jesus is proclaimed and that this is a wonderful opportunity for many to hear of the risen Lord Jesus, the true King, and whose name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm.